Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Even though this took place almost 23 years ago, I remember it very well. Vicki and I went to Lakeland, Florida, where I was to hold a special series of gospel meetings. We decided to take our time getting there, so we spread it out over two days. The evening of the first day, we stopped relatively early, about 5 o'clock, got a motel room outside of Atlanta, and went out to look for a restaurant. Well, we found a really interesting Mexican restaurant not very far from the motel, and we decided to eat there. It was very good with massive amounts of food and our waiter was extraordinary. After eating our fill, the waiter came to pick up the plates and clean up a little bit and he brought with him a wonderfully arranged dessert tray. He just sat it down next to us and didn't say a word about it. He went about the business of straightening up as the aroma of the chocolate wafted across our table and the various sauces flowed and dribbled delicately down the cakes and pastries, pooling in beautiful little mounds of flavor on the saucers and plates. Finally, he picked up the tray and went into an in-depth description of each dessert, spinning the tray to each item as he described it in intimate detail. I have never been so attracted to desserts as I was that night. That waiter was masterful. Even though either one of us had the slightest bit of hunger left after that dinner, I have to admit we did give in and bought one of those desserts and split it. He had succeeded. That waiter had dangled the bait. He had enticed us. And we jumped right in. Now what we did that night was not sinful, but the process that led up to that dessert, something I'm sure we can all identify with, certainly does remind me of the biblical picture of temptation. And that's what I want to talk about today. We'll go first of all to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verses 1 through 6. Passage tells us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Satan, in the form of a serpent, subjected Eve to temptation. He prompted her to commit evil by violating a clear command of God. The simplest explanation of temptation that I have found is an incitement of natural desires to go beyond the boundaries set by God. My friends, we all have desire, natural desires given to us by God. Those desires in and of themselves are not sinful, and neither is the fulfillment of them when they are fulfilled within the boundaries that God has set. I truly believe that for every single natural desire that God has placed within man, he has also provided a right and proper way to fulfill it. Temptation is the incitement to go beyond those boundaries, to go beyond what God intended as right and proper. Thinking of another familiar passage, one that is vital to understanding the biblical concept of temptation. That passage is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 16. Verse 17 should be included as it really shows the folly of giving in to what verse 16 talks about. John wrote, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. That is the way that it worked in the very first instance of temptation, and that is the way that it works now. When we go back to Eve and to the account of Genesis 3, an account that skeptics say is a, is a naive and childish fable, what we really find is the most significant and profound piece of writing on the subject of temptation that the world has ever had. Look at how it worked. Satan said, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? In this way, the tempter insinuated that somehow Eve and Adam were being unjustly deprived of something, beginning to stimulate the lusts of the flesh. There was the desire to enjoy things outside of the boundaries that God had set, but he wasn't done. He moved on and said, You surely shall not die. So the insinuation was that they were being deceitfully kept back from something that was so desirable. And then he went on and said, you will be like God. What could possibly fill one with more pride of an inappropriate nature than that? Eve yielded every step of the way. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she gave in to the desire to enjoy something outside of the boundaries set by God and it became the lust of the flesh. When she saw that it was a delight to the eyes, she gave in to the desire to obtain what she saw in a way that violated God's law of lawfully fulfilling every desire, and it became the lust of the eyes. And when she determined that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she gave in to the desire to have mastery over her own life in a way that was beyond what God had decreed as proper and it became the boastful pride of life. 
She yielded at every point through which temptation can come, representatively all that is in the world. She gave it also to her husband with her, and thus sin entered into the world. It hasn't changed and has been there ever since. I believe it's important to remember that Jesus was subject to temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 we find, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That doesn't mean that Jesus was tempted by each and every temptation that is out there, any more than you and I are. But it does mean that at every point temptation can touch someone, it touched him. In fact, I believe that his temptation was greater than any we have ever endured because he never gave in. He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Not all of us are subject to the same temptations to the same degrees. If, as the, as the tempter, it is my desire to cause you to give in and sin, then I'm going to attack you in those specific areas where you are most vulnerable. What might cause me to give in and sin may very well hold no attraction for you and vice versa. As we study the scriptures and life itself, it becomes apparent that there are certain areas of temptation that man seems to struggle with the most. One such area about which we are constantly and rather specifically warned involves sexual immorality. Perhaps this is because it is such a strong desire in people. After all, the continuation of the human race depends upon it. But as is the case with every God-given desire, there is a right and proper way to fulfill it. It becomes a significant and serious problem when people seek to fulfill that desire in a way that is outside the boundaries that God has set. I think of David as he stood upon that rooftop in 2 Samuel 11, gazing upon Bathsheba as she bathed instead of turning away. He gave in to his lust for her and went about fulfilling his desire in a way that had not been authorized. He stepped outside of the boundaries. I think of the warning of Solomon in Proverbs 7 and verse 6 through the remainder of that chapter. By the way, it is a warning that Solomon himself did not always heed, and it gives a classic description of temptation working in this area. Let's look at that passage. It says, for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and saw among the naive, I discerned among the youth, a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart, she is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today. I have paid my vows. Therefore I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, 
Let us drink our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For the man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. With her many persuasions she entices him. With her flattering lips she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me, and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Remember the words of the Lord in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. He said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Paul wrote about this particularly insidious nature of sin in this area in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. He said, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. I just want to join my voice in warning about that which we have already known. With the ready availability of all sorts of things of this nature, we have to be extremely careful that none of us finds ourselves seeking to fulfill God-given desires in a way that is outside of the boundaries he has set. This isn't the only area about which the Bible gives considerable warning. It addresses addresses the drinking of alcoholic beverages and the danger of doing such. Again, we turn to Proverbs, this time chapter 23, looking at verses 29 through 35. A person doesn't have to participate in sin to know what it is, but in this particular case, I know exactly what Solomon was writing about. He wrote, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but they, I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. The same principle would apply to the use of other drugs, illicit or prescription, when used for the wrong reason. Seeking to fulfill the desire to feel good or even to feel nothing at all, in a way that is outside of the boundaries that God has set. For those of us where this does not pose a temptation, Satan won't come after us this way. But for others, it does, and he will. We could go on and on with specific things, but the point is that the lust of the flesh 
and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life are still around. They are still the all-encompassing areas in which Satan makes his attacks. Temptation confronts us all. That's not to say that we're all tempted by the same things, because we are not. However, we are all tempted. What can we do about it? Well, several things come to mind. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, do you remember how he responded? In each case, the Lord knew the applicable biblical principle, and he used it. Each time the Lord began with, it is written, and then the appropriate passage. And my friends, we simply must study. I can't tell you how many times different forms of temptation have reared their ugly head in my life, only to have the appropriate passage come to mind. We can't use what we don't know. Sometimes we just need to flee. We all can remember Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife kept tempting him in Genesis 39. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, we find no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. When temptation comes, we have to look for the way out. If we have trouble with things available on the internet, it may be that I just have to get rid of the internet. If I have trouble with alcohol, do not place myself in a position of being around it. If I have trouble with anger, we need to learn to walk away. That old saying of count to ten isn't such a bad idea. And we always need to pray. Temptation is real and its consequences devastating if we continue to give in. Not only here and now with guilt and remorse and maybe some other earthly consequences, but eternally. Jesus knew this and taught us to go to God for help. Remember the sample prayer that included, lead us not into temptation? He told Peter in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Finally, what if we know someone who is really struggling with a particular temptation? How do we deal with that knowledge in that person? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 certainly comes to mind. Paul wrote, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. The things that used to be a temptation to me are not temptations anymore. But you know what? Sin is sin, and other things do tempt me, and I need to be of the mindset to help a brother or sister who might be struggling, just as I pray they would be of the mindset to help me. Let's close with 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Things to think about. Thanks for listening.